Luke 5, 12 through 26. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Grass withers, the flower fades, word of our God stands forever. So this week we have another couple of events from the Gospel of Luke and the, the life and the ministry of, of Jesus. We Luke jumps back and forth throughout his gospel of uh, miraculous healings. Uh, we saw last week the miraculous catch of fish with Peter and a switch between these miraculous events to a teaching section and then back to an event, a miraculous event, then back to maybe a longer teaching session. And sometimes he'll mix them up. And like we have the, in the second story of where Jesus does this miraculous event tied in with some teaching in the middle of it. And so he, he jumps back and forth and Neither of these stories, Luke uses this interesting phrase. He says at the beginning of the story with the leper, while he was in one of those cities, and he says in the start of the second story, on one of those days, that these are just kind of stories Luke has pulled out, events from the life of Jesus, and has put them here in this section for us to look at. They, they do, though, seem to come to some sort of climax in the miraculous workings of Jesus. All along, he's been 
uh, since his baptism and his return to Nazareth where he couldn't really do many miracles, but then he goes on to Capernaum and, and he does the healing of the demoniac and Simon Peter's mother is cured of her fever and then he heals a ton of people there at Capernaum and then we have the miraculous catch of fish last week and now this week we have the healing of the leper and the healing of this man who was paralyzed, carrying him with his friends. But they kind of climax in this what they're revealing when Jesus brings up this issue of not just healing the physical body, but of forgiving this man of his sins. Luke is working to this climax, this realization of Jesus declaring definitively who he is. But to just kind of go through the details, the stories aren't difficult really, are they? I mean, as far as the narrative goes, it's kind of what we read it, they kind of make sense. This, the first story is the man with, leper, with leprosy, which is Hansen's disease, they now call it, the guy who discovered, they thought it was just a flesh disease, right, and you're... I don't mean to be graphic and disgusting, but you would start, your flesh would start rotting, your appendages would fall off, you'd lose your ears, you'd lose your nose, your eyesight would go bad, and you just, they thought it was a skin rotting disease, but this guy, Hanson, whoever he is, I'm not a doctor, but you can ask Bruce, check later out if I'm saying this right or not, you lose basically your nerve endings, and so you start having injuries, and you can't feel it, you might, uh, you might get the water too hot that you're washing your hands, and you scald your hands, and don't really know it because you can't feel it or you get a piece of dirt in your eye it doesn't really hurt like it should and so it scratches your eye up because you're losing your nerve endings so then you don't give attention to your body and pretty soon it starts getting infected and gross and you can't feel the pain and so you just kind of start rotting away is what happens with leprosy and this man Luke gives us his physician's uh, declaration by saying there came a man full of leprosy so this guy comes along and he doesn't just kind of have the starting of a spot on his arm. He's full-fledged in, in, the, in the throes of leprosy. You know, if you're interested in it, there's a couple of chapters in the book of Leviticus that talk extensively about leprosy. All right, so this is Leviticus 13 and 14, go into all sorts of detail about a priest looking at a spot with a white hair in it. And, does it, and they put him away for a week. And does the white spot with the white hair grow? Does it, is it accompanied by any redness? And read it yourself. There's a lot you can go about, about leprosy that they deal with. But it, suffice it enough to just read this passage from Leviticus 13, verse 45. says this about the leprous person. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out unclean, unclean and shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So they have the law coming down from the book of Leviticus out of their Pentateuch, these first five books, that a leprous person is to live outside of the camp, is to live alone, is to cover their top lip and cry out, I suppose not to breathe on anybody, unclean, unclean when they get around. And I read somewhere in one of my commentaries, it was like you could stand, uh, if you were upwind, you could stand seven cubits, or if you're downwind, you could stand seven cubits away, but if you were upwind from somebody, it had to be further away because they were worried about the spread of this disease. So this man essentially is, is, has lost his life. He is a dead man walking, really. Uh, his family is gone. His friendships are gone. His health is gone. He's ostracized. He cannot, 
He doesn't know touch anymore. No one touches him anymore because he has leprosy. He is, by all practical purposes, he is a dead man. And Jesus shows up. This man throws himself at the feet of Jesus, has likely heard Jesus heals diseases, throws himself at his feet and says, Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. And what does our Savior say? I will. And amazingly touches the man with leprosy. And Jesus does not contract leprosy, but the cleanness of our Savior passes into this man and he is pronounced clean. Tells him to go off to the priest, had to go through a ritual to enter back into public life. This man is in a very real way brought from death to life. Picture of what Jesus does in the gospel. Picture of what God does through our Savior Jesus Christ. He takes leprous people, people sick with sin, people rotting to to every level of who they are with their total depravity, full of their sinfulness. He takes dead people and makes them clean. Takes them dead people and he makes them alive. And this is what happens in this, this first story. We move on... We are all as dead as the leper. Let's say this. We are all as dead as the leper in our sinfulness. We have no hope. But Christ can wash away the darkest spots and bring the deadliest, dirtiest sinner back to life. He can take the most hopeless cases and bring them back to life. And it's exactly what Jesus does for this leper. But in the second story with the paralytic, another story, and probably you've heard this. I mean, how many Sunday school lessons have been done of carrying a kid around on a sheet or something, bringing, the, bringing this man to Jesus to be healed. We've heard the story, uh, Jesus is teaching in a house. I've heard once that maybe this was even the house that Jesus like, was owning or renting, or this is his home base in Capernaum. We don't, I don't really get that from this text. But they, anyway, the place is crowded, can't get to Jesus. We know he's a healer. We've got this friend we want to take to Jesus. So what do we do? The, lots of times there was a stairway on the outside of the house up to the top. They go up and they cut a hole in the roof. Luke says they remove tiles, but they basically, they just get rid of this roof and they lower this man. They look down, there's Jesus teaching and they lower the guy down right in front of Jesus. And I mean, there's, Jesus doesn't protest. Then they're like, hey, that's a big hole in my eye. Who's going to fix that? It doesn't say that. He, he, the guy comes down and the words Jesus says to him are not, wow, look at this, you're healed. The first thing he says to him is, I tell you, your sins are forgiven. What an interesting thing to say. Do you think this guy at some point was like, that's great, but if you can't notice, I just got let down through the ceiling. I can't walk. I, I'd like to walk, please, sir. I Forgive my sins, okay, whatever, but how about can I walk? He doesn't protest that way. But if we see the Pharisees, there's a big battle brewing. I mean, was, this is our first uh, sight of it here in the Gospel of Luke of these Pharisees showing up, Judea, Galilee, Jerusalem, they all come and they're here to make sure that this new rabbi is teaching appropriately. And they're here to test Jesus out. And it doesn't take them long to find something wrong with Jesus. He tells this man his sins are forgiven. And they protest. Who can forgive sins but God? No one but God can forgive sins. And Jesus knows this question and and even though forgiving sins is actually harder than healing a disease, that's an important distinction. Forgiving sins is the bigger hurdle than healing a disease. I know that for all of, I mean, forgiveness of sins 
because we live in a Christianized culture at some level, becomes cheap and easy. Forgiveness, oh sure, forgiveness, you get forgiveness. It's a, we kind of are Oprah throwing it out. You get it, you get it, you get it. But really, the forgiveness of sins is the bigger hurdle for this man because he is, he is at odds with a holy and righteous God. The physical healing is the easier hurdle. But Jesus says to them, even that we, it's, language is cheap. So he says, well, which is harder to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Well, with the language is concerned, it's, you have to prove the guy can walk. I mean, you can say forgiveness, but you don't really know if it's true. But when you say the guy's healed, that's important language. So Jesus says, all right, rise up and walk. And the, the, the bed the man is carried on, he picks up and he carries it out. The man who was carried, carries his bed back out. So there are tons of applications, implications we could take away from this. You probably have heard all of them and we, I could add more to you, but that's never what I'm about, right? We could talk about, you got to, when you, when you come to Jesus, make sure you always say, if you will. Okay, that's a fine admonition. Yeah, you probably should say, Lord, if you're willing, do this, that, and the other. Or you might have the application, you need to bring your friends to Jesus, right? That's like, that's kind of the go-to kids club Sunday school thing. See, they brought their friend to Jesus. Now you better bring your friends to Jesus kind of thing. You know, that's, that's, that's an application. You could pull from there. And it's not a bad idea to bring your friends to Jesus. So or to, to bring them to church, I would never say that it's a bad idea. But they're all fine. But what are we striving for in the gospel of Luke here, folks? What's the big deal? What's the big picture idea? What's Luke communicating? So there's three clear takeaways I want to look at in one big picture. We'll go fast with the first three. Uh, the three clear takeaways, I want you to notice the posture of those who find favor with Jesus. Notice the posture of those who find favor with Jesus. The helplessness. They're, they're aware of their helplessness before Jesus. We could go back into last week's story with Peter even. And what's the posture of Peter when he finds favor with Jesus? He throws himself down at Jesus' knees and says, depart from me, man, depart from me, for I am a sinner. The people, the posture of those who find favor with Jesus are, are those who accurately realize that they are at the bottom rung of being able to help themselves and the bottom rung of being able to help be reached by Jesus. But seeing yourself and the, seeing themselves at this low, humble place where they feel like they're beyond help is actually their qualification to being ministered to by Jesus. That leper had thought, you know, I'm kind of, I got my own thing going on. If he had resisted at throwing himself at the feet of Jesus and saying, if you will, I can be clean would he have received his healing? We don't know. But I'm just saying there, there is this clear reality of the posture of those who find favor with Jesus are not those who come to Jesus riding high. We don't see this a lot in our world today and in our church culture is this, this really coming to God low. We all come to God kind of riding on our horses, riding on, this is, this is where I'm at. God, aren't you glad to have me on your team? I'll join up if you keep your end of the bargain. Here, let's, let, let's talk terms. How often do I got to show up? How good do I have to be? How many good deeds do I have to do? Kind of barter down how this is going to go out. We have, and, and so, so few are coming that way. And so few are coming like the leper and the paralytic and just laying themselves out and saying, your will is what matters. We all come to God in our culture with this high view of, this is who I am, God 
This is who I am. Call me clean. We come, unlike the leper, we say, this is who I am. Now make me clean. Instead of saying, God, if you will, you can make me clean. We make demands like, I will be this. This is who I am. And God, you must say that I'm clean. My sexuality, my sexual preference, my gender identity, my, uh, my, my consumerism, my materialism, my demands. God, this is who I am, and you need, to make sure, you need to call me clean. That's how our culture, and that's how the church is beginning to get morphed into this beast that has this approach to Christ, this approach to Christianity that says, this is who we are, God make us okay. Instead of coming like the leper and saying, I have nothing to bring. The only I am we bring to Jesus is the I am of I am a sinner and I need your mercy and forgiveness. That's the I am we bring to Jesus. And we see the rub and we'll see the rub more and more and more as we come to Christ saying, this is who I am. Make it clean. Say it's okay. When the scriptures point out clearly to us, the way that you find favor is not by coming high, but by confessing. I'm at the bottom. I'm a sinner. I messed up. I am all these things and they're all wrong. I am all these things and it's all messed up. And I am a sinner. And what I need is not you to say all these things are okay, but I need forgiveness. I need to come low. The only I am we bring to God is I am a sinner in need of mercy and forgiveness. Our, our hymn our, of the month said that naked come to thee for dress. I, and nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me Savior or I die. That's the posture that finds favor. Secondly, I said these would be fast. The second is the, is the controversy over Jesus' Jesus's claims to divinity. There's controversy. I'm shocked that we still sometimes have this rumblings that Jesus was just uh, put in this position he never meant for himself to be in. Jesus is claiming to be God. When he forgives sins, uh, you can only forgive sins if they're committed against you. If... Uh, if Eric insults Dennis, he says the Cowboys stink. I would never say that, but if Eric said it to Dennis, he said the Cowboys stink, they're terrible, and it really hurts Dennis. He's sitting over here crying. He's upset. He's really offended. I don't go to Eric and say, you know what? It's no, I forgive you. It's okay. That's not my place. Dennis is the one offended. Only the, the only one who can do the forgiving in that situation is the offended one. So when Jesus shows up and says, you know what? You're forgiven. He's saying, the offense was against me as God. Your sinfulness was against me. I forgive. Jesus is claiming divinity here, and it's what ends up getting him killed. This blasphemy is the reason that Jesus ends up being crucified in his claims to be God. It's a dangerous thing to claim to be God, unless you really are. Then you can claim it. And the third thing, Jesus does what he wants. He has authority. Leper comes along, full of leprosy, incurable disease. I will be clean, and it's gone. Imagine, you know, we got television preachers. Benny Hinn's going to hit you with a coat and tell you heal your back problems, whatever. Jesus is taking a guy who doesn't have a nose, ears, fingers, and they're coming back. 
okay? That's something different. This is a creative miracle. He's not, he's not taking somebody who has got on crutches or in a wheelchair and they're able to dance on stage for a while. No, this guy's carried in on a bed, on a, on a cloth his whole life, and he gets up and the thing that carried him in, he rolls it up, puts it on his shoulder, and he carries it out. Jesus has real authority. Jesus has real authority. So those are just three clear things from this text. The posture of those who find favor with Jesus. The controversy about Jesus claiming to be God. It's huge in this narrative. And the authority of Jesus to do exactly what he wills. But I want to take this last few minutes that we have and and think on this one big question that comes out of this text. I've spent a lot of time in a hospital thinking about this text this week. And, and, and one huge question comes out of all of these texts like this. One huge question comes out. And it's probably when you've asked yourself, if you ever go to a Bible study and you come across a passage like this, it's a question that always comes out. Why doesn't Jesus heal like this today? Jesus is this healer, right? Cleanses this man with leprosy. This guy is paralyzed. And, and look, he takes this guy who's not able to walk and he makes him walk again. Why, why, why is this not going? Did anybody else ever ask that question? How come this isn't going on? And, and everybody just kind of sits around and says, well, I guess he's, I don't know. You know we don't, but I, here's, the, here's one answer. Jesus certainly can. Okay, let me just say, Jesus certainly can. If he wanted to, he can do it. He has authority over all things. And if he wants to take, get rid of diabetes, if he wants to get rid of cancer, if he wants to get rid of heart palpitations, if he wants to get rid of anything, he can do it in an instant. He can do it. So the question is not his ability to do it. Quick answer is, of course, he can. But that doesn't really answer for those who are suffering and who are watching those who suffer. So as I'm thinking about this, looking at this text, it struck me, what is the miracle in this text? What's, what's the big thing going on here? What is the miracle that's going on in this text? These people here at the end of the, of the section we read this morning, verse 26, amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. What's the extraordinary thing What's the most extraordinary thing they saw? Where's, where, what's the greatest miracle here? And at the surface level, we all say, Darren, just got done talking about it. There's these healings. The miraculous thing they saw is they saw these people healed, right? That's the miraculous thing that they see. But I want to say, put this out here for you, that is not the ultimate good done in this story. The healings of these people is not the ultimate good done in this story. The ultimate good is not these temporal healings. The ultimate good is not the healings. It is the revealing of Jesus for who he is. The ultimate good is not the healing. It is the revealing. These... uh, when we talk about this idea of Jesus heals, Jesus is, Jesus Christ heals, absolutely amen, he does. But it almost gets it kind of backwards. That what I want to say is, instead of Jesus Christ heals, is look, Jesus heals, he's the Christ. You understand the distinction? 
It's, we, we so often in our world, we, you know, and, and rightfully so, we want to be well. And I would never put anybody down for wanting to be well or wanting somebody else that they love to be well. We put this up here and we say, Jesus is the Christ who can heal. And I want to say to you, look, people, this is the way it goes. Jesus heals. Look at the Christ. Look at this Jesus. He heals. We've seen two stories of it here. and We'll see more of them. Do not get those mixed up. The great miracle here is not the healing. It is the revealing of Jesus for who he is. What we need more than healings is we need the revealing of Jesus Christ for who he is. Jesus Christ, yes, he heals. But listen, Jesus heals. Look, Jesus is the Christ. When we get those mixed up, we misplace the main emphasis. It is not on the healing It is on the revealing of Jesus Christ. Think about it. Where are these men now? These two men that are healed. They didn't come to church this morning. He's healed from leprosy, the one guy is. The other guy was paralytic and he's able to walk. Where are they now? Anybody got a guess? (laughs) They're buried somewhere. I don't know. They're dead. They're dead. They, 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 They were healed. I mean, let's be honest, that, and that's a miracle. They re- should have rejoiced in it. I'm sure they did. They, they glorified God, that says, because they were healed. But you know what? They ended up dying anyway. He- they got another 20, 30 years, and then they crossed the Jordan, as we say. They died anyway. The day still comes for them when they take their last breath. And I don't want to minimize the miraculous healings that were done here, but let's be honest, it gave them maybe another 30 years, they went out like everybody else except for one great reality. And the great reality was not their healing. It was that they saw Jesus for who he is. Saw Jesus. I can imagine, and I have to imagine because we don't know, I can imagine them on their deathbeds taking their last breaths, recounting their life, and maybe tell the story of their healing. I was, I was a leper and I was cured. Or I was paralyzed and I had to be carried around on a mat and I was able to walk again. And rejoicing in the telling of that story, they would have told the story of their healing and rejoiced primarily in what the healing revealed to them, the man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. I was healed. And let me tell you what that healing did for me. It showed me Jesus. The great miracle here is not the healing It is the revealing. They got to see Jesus for who he is. Back in Luke 9, Jesus says this. This is a radical teaching. Jesus says to them all, verse 23 of Luke 9, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. Radical teaching from Jesus. He does not say to come after him by receiving healing and following him. He says takes up their cross. The cross is an instrument of anti-healing, actually. You're gonna, it's an it's a, it's a instrument of death. But Jesus calls them to take up this cross and follow him, following him, keeping their eyes on him what does it gain a man if he's cured of leprosy and doesn't find jesus nothing 
What is it, what is it profit a man if he's cured of his, if he's a paralytic who's healed and he doesn't find Jesus? The rhetorical answer, nothing. What does it profit a man if he gains the world and yet forfeits or loses his soul? Nothing. The greatest event here is not the healing. It is the revealing of Jesus Christ for who he is. God in human flesh come to be the savior of the world and to bring the kingdom of God to earth. What the church needs, what this world needs, what your family needs, what you need more than anything else, more than anything else, more than healings even, is the revealing of Jesus Christ for who he is. That we would see him. That our heart's cry would be above anything else. God, may I see you. May I see you. The revealing of Jesus Christ for who he is. God in human flesh come to seek and to save the lost. Come to live the life all of us sinners should have lived but didn't. Die the death that we all deserve. Suffering the wrath of God in our place condemns Condemned he stood, so that all who repent, who look to Christ, who look to him, who see him, and trust on his work on the cross, believing that God raised him from the dead, they will be forgiven of their sin and reconciled to this great God from now on till forever. Your greatest need this morning is for nothing more than for you to see Jesus for who he really is. To come low like the leper and the paralytic, to come low. Nothing in my hands I bring. Confessing our sin, trusting in the God-man who does exactly as he wills. He does just what he wants all the way to the cross for you. Let us come looking to him, longing for the sight to see him for who he is, our God and our Savior. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes. I repent. I confess, I come wanting so many things and putting them above wanting you. I spend so much of my life prizing the gifts over the giver. Father, help us this morning that our hearts would be caught up in the hope to see you, to know you, to be in fellowship, good standing, with this great God through our Savior, Jesus Christ, in such a magnificent way, God, move in our hearts in such a powerful way that come what may in this life, we have seen you and we sing and rejoice in knowing you and you alone. You are enough. We bless your name with all that is within us. We bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.